Today we're continuing, as, as we follow this series, a topic from the Bible that I think maybe you've heard before or heard about it, but maybe you don't know exactly what it means, potentially. So we're talking about the perseverance of saints. Now, I think it's a funny thing as humans that we can hear terms or hear conversation and we will think that we kind of understand it and we'll say we understand it, but we don't actually like really get it. So like, for example, have you ever watched politicians or I don't know, maybe economists talking about the economy and they'll drop language like Keynesian versus Austrian economics, and then they'll talk about fractional reserve banking, they'll talk about quantitative easing, and the role of the Federal Reserve as a central banking system, and policy, it impacts the whole global economy. Ever heard that stuff? (laughs) And then you're like, yeah, I'm totally tracking with you. I know exactly what that means. Not really. Like, you might have and some of you more than others, a, a, a general idea of what that's about, but you don't, you don't actually get it. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't write a paper on it, couldn't explain it or articulate what these things actually mean. And I think it's not just listening to politicians or economists or forget legal, like legal ease, that's a whole different world and medical jargon too, like doctors, nurses, that's a whole different like language. But in the church, it's not that different. We can have these words, these terms, and we say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that means. Do you really? Like, do you really have a grasp of what these terms mean? We're talking about today the perseverance of saints. This is not academic. This is not a theological conversation for the ivory tower dwelling theological elites in seminaries. This is real. And it's designed to change your life. And I can assure you, it's changed mine. And I pray that it does the same for you as God's Spirit helps you understand the utter significance and how profound it is to know that God is allowing his saints, his people, to persevere to the end. Because theology exists because God exists. God has pleased himself, his joy, in order to reveal himself. And so, like, God finds pleasure in revealing who he is to us, and it's our job to know him, and that's what this is all about. Let me read to you from our statement of faith. It should be on the screen on the perseverance of saints. So as a church, we believe that genuine believers are only those who endure, maybe not on the screen, I don't know, but we believe that genuine believers are only those who endure to the end. Their persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial adherence. Hear me. It is their persevering attachment to Christ is the mark which distinguishes true believers from superficial adherence. A special providence watches over their welfare, and they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. That is what we believe from the Bible. We're going to explore that here together this morning. That true believers in Jesus, born again of his spirit, justified, regenerated, being sanctified, true believers in Jesus will persevere faithfully to the end. Let's read John chapter 10, verse 22 and following, and that will be on the screen. John 10, 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, 
And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colony of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, that means the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So profound. I want to read to you another text, similar theme. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, beginning with verse 33. We'll pick it up there. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Pray with me. Ah, Father, we need you. This is not a show, we did not come here to be entertained. We did not come here for the smoke and lights. We did not come here to be appeased or pandered to. We gather together in your name to encounter you, Jesus. And we know that we fail. And as we just sung so powerfully, we are unworthy. And yet you are worthy. And so we pray that your spirit would speak to us today. That as we read from your word in John 10, that nothing and no one can snatch us out of your hand. We belong to you. We are your sheep bought by your blood and we belong to you. And nothing can separate us from your love, not even our own failures. Because Jesus, you died and were raised. And so this morning we pray that you would grip our hearts for your glory and that we would desire you in your presence, your joy above all else. And we pray in your name, Jesus, for your glory. So as we seek to better get our minds around this doctrine, this teaching of God's people who will persevere and not be separated from God, who will not fall away, a true believer will not, cannot fall away. I want to talk about three specific traits of perseverance. Number one, the foundation. Let's consider the foundation of perseverance. What is our perseverance built on? What is the basis? Because let's just be honest. Every one of us, I'm sure, has seen, known, or heard of people that at one point 
seem to love God, were following Jesus as far as you can tell. They were involved in church life. They seemed to love the word. They, they, from as far as all appearances you can tell, they loved God, and then they fell away. They just stopped following Jesus. They stopped caring. They stopped serving. They quit the church. They just stopped believing God even exists. They became atheists. And then they're online arguing about why Christianity is bunk. And you're like, what? I knew you. I was in church with you. And now you're like this atheist apologist. I've seen it many times. People that I know personally. And I'm sure you've experienced similar experiences of people that just fall away, deny the gospel, deny Jesus, and seem to have just lost their faith and fall away. How does that happen? You may ask, like, how is that even possible? And how do you reconcile this reality that we see and yet this biblical truth that a true believer is one who will endure to the end? What is the foundation upon which this perseverance of believers is built? Let me give you a definition for perseverance biblically. Perseverance is a continue, the, the continuous work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's kind of a textbook definition, but work with me here. So perseverance is the continuous work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. That by the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart and is continued and brought to completion. So it is the continuous work of the Holy Spirit in the believer and his divine grace that begins in the heart, but then it is continued on and it is brought to its final completion. So when we're glorified. And so Philippians 1, 6 describes this. This is where it's coming from. Like these theological constructs aren't random. They're based on the Bible. So Philippians 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, not might, not hopefully, will bring it to completion at the end, at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we see in Philippians 1, 6 is that he began a work in you and he will absolutely bring it to completion when Christ returns. And so that is what you see. So that's one verse that summarizes what this means, that believers will persevere. And if you look at these verses that we just looked at carefully, you see the foundation for it. So we just read in John chapter 10. It says that we belong to the good shepherd. And it says that he gives eternal life and that we can't be snatched out of his hand. Romans 8, Jesus died. Therefore, we are now justified, declared innocent before God. We're forgiven. And so therefore, based upon Christ's work on the cross, his sacrificial death and resurrection, now, because of that, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Philippians 1, we just read that. That he began the good work. He will complete it. He is faithful to complete it for his glory. So if you're seeing a theme developing here, what is the foundation in which our persevering is built upon? I can tell you what it's not. It's not your strength. It's not your ability to persevere. It's not in your intelligence. It's not in your wit or in your willpower. It is not in your effort to persevere or to fight against your sin or to not fall or to not stumble or to not blow it, sometimes royally. It's not based upon your abilities or strength or power. It's not about you at all. Because if you think that we are going to persevere and endure faithfully obeying and following Jesus in our own power, then I suspect that you aren't a believer. I suspect that you don't know God you don't have his Holy Spirit because what you have is human religion. 
and you're trying to do it in your own strength. And your measurement is what other people think instead of the actual standard, which is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, clear, necessary word of God. This is the standard. And if we're measuring our lives against God's standard, then we realize how we fall short of the glory of God. And so the point is that the foundation for our persevering to the end is not our works, our ability. Your ability to persevere, your ability to be faithful to Jesus, to obey him, your power to keep battling your sin and temptation and to see incremental but real growth. And like we saw last week, growth in your sanctification. For that to happen, for you to not fall away, what is, what is the foundation for that? Jesus himself the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 describes him as the cornerstone. Our faith is built on the foundation of Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. God is building something, and we are spiritual stones, and it's not us. He's the builder, and this is a school. This is not a church. We're not meeting in a church. I think it's so funny. I hear it all the time. I'll meet you at the church, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, we meet here once a week. We're here for five hours total for set up, service, and tear down. This is a school. School. The church is the people. This is a gathering of renewal church. And by the looks of it, we're going to have to find a new gathering place soon. <laughs> Two years in, it's like, okay, we, we need potentially soonish a their seats up front. <laughs> no one wants them, but they're there. God is building something, and he's building a people where he lives, a dwelling for his spirit. And what is the foundation upon which he is building the spiritual house? It says, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the foundation is Christ himself. And so the foundation for our perseverance, for our enduring, for our obedience, for our being able to have anything good in our lives is the person and work of Jesus, not our efforts. It's based on the holiness, the righteousness, the glory of who King Jesus is and his finished work on the cross where he defeated the grave, ended our sin, and we are declared innocent, absolved of our sin, not guilty because of Christ. And so it's not really about the perseverance of believers. It really isn't. It's about the perseverance of God. That's what this is about. I know the doctrine is called the perseverance of saints, but if you really think about it, it's not. It's the perseverance of God. It is God who is persevering. It is God who is faithful towards us, and it is God's faithful love towards us. So his persevering love towards us that enables us to persevere in our love for No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our
we belong to him. And nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not even your foolishness. Not even when you're being a complete, we'll say donkey. (laughs) Not even when you blow it big time. Not even when you are humiliated and you can't even look in the mirror or when you can't even listen to worship music because you're too ashamed. Not even when you think that your sin is so strong and you think that God could never love you again. Your sin is not strong enough to overcome cross. You can't. Your failures are not big enough to overcome the cross. You are loved. And this is the truth. And I can tell you I'm preaching to Matthew Levant long before I'm preaching to the gathering of Renewal Church. We just read My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them, you hear that? I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You know, as it always will every single Sunday, as it always should, as it always will all the way into eternity, it always comes back to the gospel. And God help us if we ever forget that because we need to remember it is always about the gospel. It always comes back to that. And so the hard part about preaching to basically the same people. Yeah, there's guests, but it's the same gathered church week in, week out. It's the courage to preach the exact same sermon every single week and have the confidence that they want to hear it again the very next week. It's always about the gospel, and we cannot forget that. And yet it's the courage to preach the exact same sermon every single week without preaching the exact same sermon every single week. I would think that being a conference speaker is so easy. You just need one sermon, and you preach that one sermon to a different crowd every single time, but that is not the blessing of being loved by and loving a faith family and shepherding a people that you don't deserve to be called a shepherd of. It's about the gospel. We receive his mercy. We don't grasp anything. We receive. We don't earn anything. We receive. We receive and we rest. We don't have to work or earn or strive in any way or sustain anything in our salvation. True believers will follow Jesus. My sheep know me and they hear my voice and they will Those who know Jesus will persevere because they're being held in the hands of God and nothing can separate them from God. And so what is the foundation for our perseverance? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. The foundation is Jesus himself who has promised to strengthen us, hold us to persevere. Number two, let's talk about the features. So first, that's the foundation. Now, the features of perseverance. Features as in the characteristics. Like, what does it look like, like practically? So there's a foundation. It's on Christ. What does it look like? What are the features of perseverance? So let's look at the book of Hebrews. We'll be in several passages. 
but they're all very close to each other in Hebrews 3 and also a little bit in Hebrews 4. We'll look at first Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He calls us to believe, to not have an unbelieving heart that is evil. He calls us to have faith in God and to encourage each other that we cannot do this alone. That can encourage each other today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Today, encourage your fellow faith family members. He says that you won't fall away so that encourage each other and hold on to this faith so that you don't fall away from the living God. And don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Man, I'm sure many of you can relate. Sin can be confusing. And it can be deceitful. And we can get so twisted where we see things as right or permissible that in a heart of hearts that at one point we knew was wrong. And you find yourself thinking or saying or doing things that at one point you never would have even imagined that you could have ever even thought about. And now there you find yourself actually doing it. Never been there. He says, don't be hardened by sin that is so deceitful. Hold on to your faith. And this holding on shows something. It's the evidence of something. This holding on to your faith, this evidence, this is that you have come to share in Christ. So sharing in Christ, what does it look like? It looks like this believing and this holding on, even when it's hard. Let's turn the page and go to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 2, Hebrews 4, 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So he says good news, that's the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. So this gospel has come. People heard this message but it didn't benefit them because they did not believe. It didn't have faith. So there are people who hear the gospel. They hear about Jesus, but they say no. They don't believe. They don't have faith. And so therefore, those people are not going to persevere to the end. They're not believers. They don't have the Holy Spirit. It's painful, but the Bible tells us that this is a reality in our broken world. Same chapter, jump down to verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We are accountable to our God. Did you catch that opening? He says, strive to rest. Did you catch that? Like those don't seem to go together. Like you would think strive to like win, right? Or work hard and then like some other action word. But it says strive, work hard to rest. Like it seems like, wait, the Bible is putting these two thoughts. It says go for it, do it, fight for it, keep going, strive for it. 
to rest. So that you will not fall into the same sort of disobedience. So that you will not fall into a sinful pattern. Like there's this paradox in the Bible of striving and resting that are put side by side. So how do you fight for faith? How do you strive? You rest. That's how you strive, by resting in his presence. How do you fight? On your knees. It's a supernatural thing, and it's such a paradox, but there's this beautiful side-by-side, this tension of if you want to see victory and growth and this striving to actually happen in your life, it only comes from the abiding in Christ, the quiet moments with prayer and the word and journaling and solitude. It's a resting in him that gives us the strength to be able to strive. So we strive to enter into his rest. And we just keep reading the very next verse, verse 14 Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. So what you're seeing here is the importance of the word. We just read about the word is living and active and pierces and exposes us. Our thoughts, our our intentions, our, our motives are laid bare and our justifications and our explanations for why we're doing whatever we're doing are exposed by God's word. So we're told to focus on the word. And then it says in the next few verses, it's all about Jesus and his work on the cross. So let us hold fast to this confession. Hold on to it. Don't let go. Don't give in. Draw near with the word. And this is draw near to this throne of grace that you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so you're seeing a theme, and this is quick, I know. Like, I'm not breaking it down very much. That will take way too long. Do it on your own. I I encourage you to. Hebrews is amazing. But just here by just overview, do you see a theme with these verses in Hebrews 3 and 4? Some of these features, these characteristics of perseverance. It says, holding fast, believing the gospel, striving, resting, drawing near receiving mercy. That's what it looks like. This is a persevering looks like. We hold fast. We believe. We strive. We rest. We draw near. Like he's right here in the Bible. This is, this is the characteristics, the, the features. And so just that so we're very clear, what I'm not saying is that we can retain our salvation based upon our persistence in the faith. Just so that we're super clear, it is not as though our persevering, our fighting, our continuing, resting, drawing near, believing, holding fast, those things don't make us saved. We're not saved by striving. Never. No one is saved by their moral efforts. And you are not even saved by how much faith you have. You're not saved by the quality of your faith or even the quantity of your faith. You are saved by the object of your faith. Where is your faith placed? It's on whom your faith is placed, not the quality or even the quantity of your faith. Is is it focused on Jesus? If so, then you are saved. Because we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone alone, for his glory alone. So we're saved by this faith. And this faith, what does it look like? We strive, we rest, 
We hold fast. If you want one kind of summary word for this, like one word that describes like the, the features, like what it looks like to be persevering, maybe one word, abiding. Or you could say continuing. It's the same word in the original. A continuing in Jesus, a abiding in Jesus, a not giving up, not looking elsewhere, a fixing your eyes, your hope on Jesus, continuing in your faith, even when it's hard, even when you're confused, even when it's going to cost you. And this continuing, this abiding, is the proof that you are saved. I don't have time to break it down, but I'll let you on your own. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. Sometimes called a warning passage. So Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. On your own, I encourage you to study that. It describes people that have heard the word of God. Part of the church that's gathered. says they've even tasted his goodness. Even tasted the Holy Spirit to a degree with the gathered church together. And yet, they fell away. Because... They never actually had the Holy Spirit. They never actually were born again of the Spirit. They never placed a complete faith in Christ alone for their salvation. They had the religious thing down, the church thing down, showing up on a Sunday, pleasing the wife by going to church on a Sunday, but in their heart did not love Jesus. And Jesus was clear. And he will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he will say, what? Depart from me. I never knew you. Maybe you knew of me because you knew about religion. But Jesus is clear. I never knew you because you never knew me. You never trusted in me. You didn't love me. You, you don't have my spirit. You are not a believer being lost spiritually. This shows us the dangers of religion, the dangers of cultural Christianity, the dangers of churchianity. It's dangerous. Where you show up on a Sunday, you sing your three hymns, and you check the box, and you hear a sermon, whatever, and you go home, and unchanged, unfazed, no relationships, not being discipled, not being transformed, not pursuing Jesus, not being known, just doing the church thing, the religious thing. It makes you want to throw up. It's not biblical, and it is not what you see here in these texts. 1 John 2.19, that should be on the screens. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued. There's that word, abide. They would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. There are people that are going to appear as though they were of us, of the people of God, who belong to the Spirit of God, that do the church thing. And they're going to fall away. And they're going to quit. And give up on God and give up on their faith. The reason why that happens is that they were never actually believers in the first place. Because a true believer will continue to the end. And the reason why it's called the perseverance of saints is for a reason. Because according to 1 Corinthians 1, 2, it says that we are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are declared a saint and sanctified. Maybe you're thinking, no, I'm not a saint. Talk to my wife. No, I'm not a saint. I look in the mirror. I don't see a saint. I get it. I know that we don't feel like saints. 
But remember something, God stands outside of time. He sees past and present and future as one. He's outside, he's holding time in space. And he sees you. It says in Ephesians 2, he sees you seated right now in the heavenly places with Christ. He already sees your salvation completed with you glorified and holy, wearing those white robes, declaring glory to the lamb who was slain. He sees you holy. He declares you holy. You are sanctified now, I know that we're on this journey of, of being sanctified. Yes, that's true. But don't forget what God has declared you to be. And he knows how your story is going to end. And it is in holiness. And so right now, he can declare you a saint. Right now. You are holy because you have the spirit of God who is holy in you. And he's making you progressively more holy. He's at work and he will complete it. We don't make decisions based upon our emotions, how we feel. Our identity is rooted in who Christ says we are. It's the perseverance of saints because you are set apart him. And by the way, this is not the same thing as the popular one saved, always saved. Like, I don't, I don't want to disparage anyone, but you know me, right? I'm just, I don't know how to not be intense or shoot straight. Like, I, I don't know how to be different. I'm sorry. Um, when I hear people talk about one saved, always saved, they're talking about something along the lines of Someone raises their hand in a service once when they were a teenager or went to VBS when they were a child and they lived their whole life and there's no evidence of faith. There's no working out their salvation. There's no evidence of love for Jesus. There's, there's no progressing in the faith. There's no love for the church. There is just secular lifestyle. And then that person dies and then as a pastor, you're sitting there with this person and, and you're trying to figure out the funeral. And I'm asking questions like talking about their faith so that I can weave it into the, the sermon for the funeral. And they're like, well, he didn't really go to church and there really wasn't anything. But I do know when he was six at BBS, he raised his hand. And so I know he's in heaven. And I'm like, you know, I don't pass judgment. I am not God. I don't make those decisions, praise God. That is, God decides he's a judge, not me. Here's my point. The Bible describes true believers as continuing, as loving Jesus and loving the church. That's what it looks like. It looks like holding fast, believing, striving, resting, drawing near. That's what it looks like to persevere. So if someone has no evidence of persevering, here's all I'm saying. It begs the question, do they have the Holy Spirit? Are they part of the flock of Jesus? And I don't, I don't have to judge. I'm just asking the questions. The biblical teaching of perseverance of saints is one where believers have a new heart where they want to follow Jesus and follow the voice of the shepherd. There ought to be evidence of faith. So just again, to clarify, we are saved by faith alone. We are not saved by our works. We're not saved by our works. But here's the thing, real faith works. Why James says, faith without works is dead. Because if, if there's no evidence, real faith is worked out. And so real faith actually works. Now, does this mean that you're not going to struggle? Of course we're going to struggle. Will you fail? Yes. Will you lose your way? Will you maybe even drive your life off into a ditch? Do believers, including pastors, do we blow it?
Yes. And oftentimes it's humiliating when we do. That is where this biblical truth is so important. The foundation for our persevering in the faith is not our strength or our abilities or our success, but Jesus himself and his righteousness and the features, like what it looks like for us to actually be persevering, this continuing in Christ. It's a continuing to look to Jesus when we stumble and when we fall. So the mark of a true believer is not one always gets it right because none of us always gets it right. The mark of a believer is when they mess up, when, when they are feeding the pigs and they come to their senses and they say, oh my God, what am I doing feeding these pigs covered in mud far from the Father? How did I get here? We repent and we come home. That's what a believer does. That's the mark of not getting it right, but responding with faith and repentance and drawing near to the throne of grace and experiencing his restoration and his renewal. So when people talk about, well, I'm going to live this lifestyle and it's clearly evil, and say, well, God will forgive me. That shows so little regard for the work of Jesus on the cross that it begs the question, do you actually love Jesus? Because if you have his spirit, you will crave for his renewing and restoring work, and we will repent and come back home to the Father It's the mark of a believer who is, by God's grace, persevering to the end. As we wrap up, number three, the function of perseverance. Using the foundation, like the features of it. Let's talk about the the function. So how it's meant to work. How it's meant to be played out and applied. It's meant to be functional in your life. It's not random or theological only or academic. It's meant to have real function, real implications. So how does this actually impact our lives? Well, I only have one answer. I could say a lot, but I'll keep it brief. The primary function of perseverance in your life is hope in the struggle. Knowing that you're going to persevere by God's grace and his power gives you hope in the struggle. So no matter how bad you struggle or fail, you cannot lose your salvation. You have real hope. It says in Revelation 9:4 that God's people, it says that have been marked by God. There is not just mark of the beast, there's also mark of Christ. That they are sealed on their foreheads. Believers have a mark on their heads. They are marked by Christ. You cannot lose your mark that he has on you. Those who believe in Jesus have been spiritually resurrected. You were dead and you've been brought back to life. You cannot go back. You can't now die spiritually again when you have life that God's given to you. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit and given a new nature. And his spirit and your spirit are interwoven. How are you going to remove the spirit that God has put in you? You can't do that. You have been adopted by the Father. You're going to unadopt yourself now? You've been chosen and loved. You're going to unchoose yourself and unlove yourself from the love of God? That isn't even possible. Your name is in the book of life. You can't delete it. It can't be removed. The very nature of salvation is a recreation. You've been made new. What, are you going to uncreate yourself? You cannot reject your salvation because it wasn't you. He gave it to you and he has remade you. You aren't strong enough to push yourself out of the hand of God. 
Your sin isn't big enough. You can't reject it. You can't lose your salvation. It is not possible. It goes against the character of God, the work of the cross. It goes against your nature as a new being in Christ. You cannot lose what God gives. And so knowing that you have eternal security is designed to give you hope in the struggle, hope when you fail, hope when you're disappointed or disappointing. You see, this is not just academic. This is life being breathed into you. You have been justified, regenerated, the promise of glorification, and in this life now, being sanctified. So at the end of the discussion, as we wrap up today, it really isn't about the perseverance of saints. It's not. It's the preservation of saints. It's God who is preserving his people. It's God who's doing it. It's about God keeping his promises about God bringing many sons and daughters to glory and safely through judgment bringing them home to heaven with him. Jude 1, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You hear that? He will keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. That's our hope. That he will keep us from stumbling. He will present us blameless in his presence one day. That gives us hope today to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep drawing near, to keep encouraging one another, to not give up, but to keep facing our sin in the face despite the consequences and saying, God, I just want you and a restored soul. So I'm going to keep going. Gives us hope to face the pain, to not give up, knowing that he will present his blameless. That's real hope. May we taste it. May we spread it.